Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski from hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? Hey, man, I'm just looking forward to this weekend. We're going to go head up the hill. I hope you guys are sitting maybe out on your patio in the yard doing a whole lot of nothing and, um, you know, paying respects during this holiday. And, uh, yeah, just getting a breather in. What, are you going to Tahoe? Um, no, 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 just going up the hill to uh, Cameron Park. I got a buddy up there. It's his birthday. And, uh, yeah, just uh, not a whole lot planned. And and this is how I like it this time of year. It's uh, it's slow, and, and that's a good thing. Well, the Ham family, we decided to invest – Poorly, of course, in a giant party barge. So we uh, we put a 22 foot uh, sun tracker party barge on our lake on Thursday afternoon, and we will spend the entire weekend slash summer slash most of the winter on a party barge floating out on on Lake of the Pines, beautiful Lake of the Pines. In I guess technically I'm smack dab in between Auburn and Grass Valley. But, uh, yeah, that's my plan for the weekend. And, again, to celebrate, uh, Memorial Day is one of those weird things that people don't they don't celebrate, right? It's kind of, you know, not to, like, completely compare it because it's not. But Cinco de Mayo is, like, such a fictitious holiday. But this is one of those ones where uh, you do pay some respects to the fallen and, uh, you know, have some historical understanding of the, the weekend. And at the same time, take a break and relax and... Get ready for Game 6 of the Warriors' Thunder on Saturday night. Uh, what are your thoughts, Aaron, on, on Game 5? I, I uh, thought it was man, intriguing. This is the payoff for a really bad playoffs. And, you know, almost the regular season, just comparing it to other seasons in terms of excitement. I mean, we're all basketball junkies, so, you know, none of this is terrible. But it's been the payoff for, for some really bad playoff basketball. We've got, you know, uh, what is this, Frazier Ali... Just, you know, absolutely beating the crap out of each other. Um, I don't know who's the favorite anymore. I thought yeah, the Thunder would be the favorite. Who's Ali? Yeah, I, it's 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 kind of gone back and forth. And, you know, so these styles make fights. And in this case, the Thunder are a better basketball team when they're operating correctly. And the only caveat to this is that either team has guys that can completely go nuclear and change the equation and you see that a little bit, or you saw it a little bit in Game 5 where Durant did it on occasion, Curry did it on occasion. But the Thunder, if they're, if they're dialed in, make the Warriors really struggle. And the Warriors have failed to adjust. So it has been really intriguing because two months ago, nobody would think this is even close to possible. You forgot Maurice Spites can get it going. I mean, dude, that guy had 14 points in eight minutes. He made such a huge impact on that game on Friday night, on Thursday night. Uh, an impressive, impressive performance by a guy. He came in with energy and a pep in his step and really 
I thought he made a, a tremendous impact in that game. Clay Thompson can get it going. It's it's a really, really strange playoff series because it's almost like the Warriors came in such heavy favorites, and then now you just expect them to lose. I don't think I've seen like the switch hit with sort of the, the narrative of a series so quickly where now it's like, well... The Warriors really don't have much of a shot to win in OKC on Saturday. And then, you know, heaven forbid, if they make it to Monday, then they'll probably win. And I, I don't know that I've seen sort of, you know, I, it, it could be it could be the thrill in Manila. Isn't that Ali and Foreman where Ali used the rope-a-dope to, uh, to hang back and and take some, some big punches from another team, from another uh, boxer? And then, you know, by the time they tired themselves out, he was ready to roll and and ran through them. You know, I've been traveling a lot lately. And I think what has struck me about this series, because I've been listening to all sorts of audio, you know, um, I was at Sirius XM on on, uh, the NBA channel there. Nobody knows how to explain this series. That's going to the, the Warriors writers, the Thunder writers. You know, the basketball community at large, because there's so much stuff that has changed, um, you know, for the Thunder in mid playoff run. If you go back to the to their series against the Mavs, Billy Donovan was getting killed in the first half of the Spurs series. Billy Donovan was getting killed. He wasn't making adjustments. He wasn't calling timeouts very well. His team wasn't responding very well to all, all the various things that he was trying to do. Then they just against the Spurs things started clicking and I think at that point in time Billy convinced his team that he could make them better with the choices he was making he was learning almost on the job uh, in particular with how he uses Andre Roberson who is the key piece for the Thunder because when you take him and you put him in their defensive lineup they just become a beast they're like the 85 bearers they they're they switch everything and they got away from that last night I might add I thought maybe they got a little too cute trying to cover Stephen Curry, sending Russell Westbrook in a trail position on the pick and roll instead of a hard trap or what they were doing with great success in games three and four was just switching. But at any rate, these decisions that Billy Donovan has made have just worked out tremendously for them. Now, they look like the confident team. They look like the team, you know, when you were asking them questions last night. And, and, and others were asking them questions. They they didn't seem like the Thunder in the past where they were would be searching in those postgame pressers. They really look like, I think, you know, they're poised to win on Saturday. It's going to be a close game, I think. But, you know, they do look like the favorites. Yeah. Um, the, the Roberson thing, the one thing, he reminds me of Danny Green a couple of years ago in the Spurs, uh, for the Spurs when he caught fire and just completely changed the complexity of a playoff run. And I really, he's a good kid. Uh, we talked to him in the in the post game locker room last night, and I thought, man, he's well put together. He's thoughtful, uh, and he really does see the way that you know what he has to do, the impact he has to have on a game in order for them to win. Uh, I did draw the ire of of both Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook <laughs> with my question. Uh, actually, I, I think I closed the press conference right and. I uh, Westbrook didn't answer the question uh, just Durant did but Westbrook stood there and stared at me and then when he left he like stared at me stared me down like the entire way out uh, and I think my question was legitimate because games three and four when they absolutely dominated 
four or five or six guys scored in double figures. I know one game, all five starters for OKC scored in double figures. And then, uh, what's his name? Uh, off the bench, Dion Waiters uh, at double figures off the bench. And another game, they had like five guys who went nuts. Two guys off the bench did really well. And then when you look at what happened last night, they shot 59 of the 91 shots. It's something like 64% of the shots. And neither one of them shot well. I think Durant was something like 12 for sure. 30. And and I think uh, Westbrook was 11 for 28, something like that. They just they needed to get other people involved. And I think they get trapped in their own mind thinking that they've got to win the game. Each individual, like I have to win the game. And, and that's not the way that they're the most successful because when they're going, when they're going nuts and then they're finding their teammates who are also scoring and, and opening things up for them, they're just a more dangerous team. And that was my point to them. Uh, Durant disagreed. He said, well, this is how we play. This is, you know, who we are. And if you don't like it, you know, I don't, I don't see people talking about how well we did when we hit all of our shots and, you know, so you can't talk when we, we miss all of our shots. Uh, and the fact is everyone does give them praise when they hit all their shots and they've been getting nothing but praise. And so that's not really accurate, but, uh, what are your thoughts on sort of their play? Uh, well, I had video and I don't know if I have it anymore, but it was really hilarious after KD starts answering your question. <laughs> the look that Westbrook gives you is hilarious. It's one of those, um, those, those uh, tweets where you can like zoom in on the guy's face. Oh, it's just classic. Anyway. It's, it's um, uh, what you talk about Willis. That's what he, yeah. yes, yes. It was, it was pretty classic stuff. And you know, it was actually a little bit like, uh, it was like playful, but yet angry at the same time. <laughs> and and I, I think a previous version of Westbrook would be a lot more angry with that. And uh, so he's, maybe he's calming down a little bit. But as far as their play goes, he was good, not great. Kevin Durant was good, not great. Um, they lost their focus offensively. And that was what was really the, the hallmark of their game, well, all of their wins, really. They, um, they kept attacking... Draymond Green in in the pick and roll and and with Kevin Durant um, as the ball handler and and I don't think that's really one of his strengths is handling the ball at the top of the key. There were times in the previous games where they would get Kevin Durant on the on the move, kind of with the Clay Thompson cut or an old school Rudy Gay cut, you know, from the Malone days, and that's really where he's at his best. If he can catch the ball and take two dribbles and and really just stay moving towards the hoop then his length comes into play and he could just start dunking on fools but he was doing a lot of ball handling up top russell westbrook same thing um the warriors put clay on him a whole lot more and and that i thought was just a no-brainer move for them to do so those guys will have to get back to what made them really good um they the sharing of the ball uh this isn't necessarily a referendum on isolation ball because um, I do think that that Russell Westbrook, anytime he has uh, Stephen Curry on him, he needs to take it to the hole because he's opening up the weak side glass. That was another making... nice moment when someone asked if they think that Steph's defense is underrated, and Westbrook <laughs> just started laughing. <laughs> At least he wasn't wearing his Dare Leak outfit from the previous uh, press conference in, in, in Oakland. Yeah. Sidebar: Zoolander Two is like the worst movie I've ever seen. It is the worst movie I, in the history of movies. I, I picked that up the other day. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. We and should I'm like, have talked about that. On my bad, Aaron. 
why have people out there? <laughs> why haven't I heard anybody talk about this movie? That is the worst movie I've ever seen. I think it's right I, there I, with Anchorman too, right? That one's not good either, but yeah, but Zoolander least... was so bad. I mean, Zoolander two was so bad, but Zoolander one. I mean, really, when when Westbrook walked in to a press conference last week, he walked in with like a a white t shirt with giant holes all through it. I mean, he literally looked like part of the Dare Leak campaign. <laughs> yeah, he's um. They just got to get back to moving the ball and and getting it. You know, you guys like Stephen uh, Adams. Uh, Andre Roberson, all the guys that play off the ball. Serge Ibaka had a fine game uh, last night. You know, but only ten just... shots. Yeah, yeah, and but you know he's not going to shoot much more anyway. But the key for them is really to just run optimized sets. They didn't do that, and the Warriors aren't running optimized sets either. And that's I think worrisome if you're a Warriors fan is that they have when you're playing against an all switching defense and granted the thunder did back off a little bit on the switching which i thought was interesting we'll go back to the tape and see how much they did but if if you're going to if you're telling me that you're going to take away my pick and roll by switching there has to be a penalty for that cuz everybody would love to take away the pick and roll by switching but they're not doing that they're still going with their motion offense they're still running the pick and roll into these switches and it's turning into really bad offense. So they're good enough to overcome it. They can make plays out of it because they're special. But this has been a really befuddling series. I, I'm not sure that that locker room is great right now because you look at the comments after the losses. You know, Stephen Curry all but called out Draymond Green in his presser after game four. Clay was hilarious in his presser after game four when he said, hey, we had 40 assists. Oh, we had 15 assists. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Classic moments, um, but they, they're going to have to pull it together because in Oklahoma City, if the Thunder go back to the tape and they say, oh, you know what, we're going to just go back to straight switching this, that's going to be everything that destroyed them, and they're going to have to have the answers for that, and yet they have yet to show that they can do that. I think it's a very intriguing series. I, I you know, If I'm making a bet, I think I would bet that OKC ends it on Saturday night, but again, if I'm if OKC doesn't end it on Saturday night, then the Warriors, I, I'm picking the Warriors in seven on Monday. So to finish up the uh, the the post-game stare-down. So after the stare-down, uh, I went outside. I was going to go back to the, the Thunder locker room, but Durant was outside, and I, I walked over, and I said, hey, look, I, I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus with that question. I just, when I watch your team play, I think you're, you're a lot better and as a team when the ball is moving a little bit more and you know if you took five shots off of you and and Westbrook's shot totals and distributed those amongst your teammates uh, I think everyone would be happier and and you actually would have won the game and he said that's fair enough he's like but you know for like the last six or seven years this is what we do and I and I my rebuttal would be this is what we do but Outside of the ten shots from from Ibaka, no other player had more than six, and I think only one guy had six shots. And so it was really they they're not giving themselves any outs by creating this this basketball where only two guys are taking you know again sixty four percent of the shots. That's that's a lot. This is where it drives me crazy. When when folks talk about the development of that Thunder team, they are still knocking off the bad habits. The the 
the kind of the coach by narrative stuff that was that Scott Brooks brought to the table had these guys believing over believing in the way that they played was the right way and getting off of these bad assumptions is really the challenge of of a player these days because you you get so used to doing things one way you know you look at Draymond Green who's like you know I'm not going to change I'm just going to keep doing this more and more and more and eventually it'll either work or it won't work but if he's going to be over aggressive, yelling at refs, getting technical fouls, yeah, you know, get, pulling his team out of the game, more of that is not the answer. You know, finding that that correct balance between aggression and playing things correctly is is basically the battle. So with Russ and Kevin, you know, they've both been taking these bad shots for years, and it's only now, you know, coaching I think is getting folks to stop doing things they shouldn't be doing. And, and that's what Billy Donovan has slowly started to do with these guys. And then you see it all come together and click and they beat the golden state warriors of 73 wins by 30 some odd points. And yeah. it's just this sight to see. And, and nobody, nobody can really wrap their head around it because it's what we've expected out of these guys, but they've never been able to pull it off. Yeah, they're so dangerous, uh, and, and I think Billy Donovan is his coaching job in the the this series and the previous series against Popovich and against Kerr uh, is absolutely otherworldly at this point. I think we're seeing a guy who is figuring out how to. I mean, if you can create a, a defensive scheme that transforms the San Antonio Spurs into an isolation offense, then you've like broken the code. And I think the same thing we've seen with Golden State, where Golden State just becomes this, like, panic. That's what you've never seen. They're, like, cool as the other side of the pillow. And to watch them panic again and again through long stretches in a game and make egregious error after error, it's shocking. And I can't just say that it's the Warriors having a a bad run. A lot of it is that OKC is doing things to disrupt everything that they're trying to do now Draymond again he he got that tech and I he went a little nuts and but there was a moment in the third quarter where you saw him find himself and that means that they're in it they at least have a fighting shot if Draymond Green is is right and in it then they've got as good a chance to win the series still as as OKC does I think they'll be underdogs going into Saturday night but uh, again, I think if it goes seven, they somehow sneak out and, and come away with a win. And I don't think any other team poses the intriguing matchup issues that this one does. One, one quick note before we segue to the Kings, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Draymond, this isn't his series. There's at least three guys that can cover him on the other side. Yes. Um, he's not he's not bigger and stronger than anybody. He's not quicker than anybody. Um, so offensively. It's almost like the Warriors have to forget about using him, and you've seen him constantly put the ball into bad places, and that's the Warriors' challenge is how to get Draymond Green to play like he did um, for stretches last night without having the touches on offense, and and he did it last night, so th- good for him. Segwaying to the Kings, I thought what was really interesting from the Warriors' side is they actually ran the George Carl zone on defense and it was uh, it was oh, pretty no. funny. And then the Thunder brought in Anthony Morrow almost immediately. I probably I probably wouldn't have thought about doing that if I was the Thunder. You know, just kind of test it out to well, see. They, no, they had to because Waiters got a second foul so early, and they 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 had yeah. to go to something else. I mean, 
if you look at I that guess, series, yeah. I mean, Durant's playing 45 minutes a game in that series. And I, I wish Kerr would run his guys out there for his big dogs for 40 plus. Whoa. I mean, geez, like this whole Stephen Curry injured thing is, I don't know what you're hearing down there in, in, in the locker room, but to me, I think it's really, really interesting to, to put that out there. If you're Adrian Wojnarowski and you know, whoever gave him that information, Steve Kerr is, is adamant that Steph's not hurt. He's irritated by yeah, the, the insinuation. <laughs> yeah, he is. And, and that's just funny because like, You've created this scenario where Steph can't lose. Like if if the, if the Warriors lose, he's injured. If he wins, he's playing through injury, and you know he goes for whatever thirty eight and seven with five steals and you know and I think nine of twenty shooting. It's like people are saying that he's he doesn't look right. He's lost his athleticism. That's just not true. He's the 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 fact he can't break guys down off the dribble has more to do with the Warriors' bad spacing than it yeah. has to do with Stephen Curry. And anytime he gets in space, he's able to take the guy to the rim. And that this is kind of just befuddling because we've introduced this injury element that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But on the zone stuff and the Dion waiters, I don't know that I would worry about his fouls, but I get it why Billy would, would do that. Um, but they, they were passing guys off on the weak side in the zone. And it just made me think, ah, uh, George Carl. George Carl. Maybe, right. maybe, it could, maybe it could work. All right. So just to finish up the Kevin Durant story, we got done. Durant's like, okay, we're cool, man. You know, he's like, just – I, you know, again, I told him I wasn't trying to start something there. I was, I, it was an honest question. I was looking to, you know, if they saw what I saw that they're a better team when they're moving the ball and it's not just those two. And, uh, so me and Kevin Durant are okay. Now me and Russell Westbrook, I, I don't know. I, I said, Hey, tell Russ, you know, no, no intent there. Uh, and it wasn't like coming at you. I just like, I'm watching you guys play and I think you guys are spectacular to watch. But when you're moving the ball just a little bit more, you're even better to watch. And, and I don't think you're beatable. And he's like, all right. He's like, respect for coming over and saying something. He's like, so, you know, there's no there's no situation. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not looking, you know, I'm not looking Russ for Russ is going to haunt you, man. Well, Somebody's got to dig that video me, up. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, the, the Russ staring, staring me the down. Russ stare down. All right, so let's get to the Kings news. Uh, we have, you know, sort of droned on here for 20 plus minutes about the Warriors uh, OKC series, but it is very topical. And I think people should appreciate the fact that uh, you can get a, a different view on that series from outsiders because uh, I'm I'm covering the series for CSN. I, I'm at every home game and uh, I'm covering the visiting locker room most of the time, but I'm in every press room and everything else. But it's sort of this weird thing that's going on just right down the street and it's epic basketball. It is absolutely epic. Uh, but the Kings do have a little bit of news this week. Um, they've had some prospect workouts, which we'll get to. But I think the biggest news of the week is that DeMarcus Cousins was named second team All-NBA. And Aaron, I don't know about you, but I'm really comfortable with him being second team All-NBA. I'm not comfortable with DeAndre Jordan being first team All-NBA when he's not even an All-Star and he's not even the second best player on his team. But DeMarcus, I was comfortable with that because I think you do have to win to get a first-team All-NBA nod, and the Kings aren't winning still. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with it all. I, I think somebody tweeted at me that Zach Lowe made a, wrote a story that he wasn't going to put him on any teams, and I, I think I saw a list of, of writers that didn't have DeMarcus on any teams floated out. Um, I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I'm, I think that there's room for all these viewpoints. I mean, if you want to say that He's he, he didn't have a successful season 
because of everything that happened. Yeah, everybody, you know, with the Kings had an unsuccessful season, you know, last year. So it just depends on your viewpoint with those awards. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, yeah, eesh, that's that's ugly. And I've, I've always been critical of the media voting for this stuff. I don't know that there's a better solution because look at what the players did when they voted James Harden in as the MVP last year. That was ridiculous. Um, and then you know, Harden, a, Harden didn't make any of the three teams. In, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in, a, in, a per, in a perfect world, you'd have 100, you know, guys and gals that watch games every day that, you know, are, are, are their hands are in this stuff. They probably play a lot of fantasy sports, to be honest with you. I, the top 100 readers that follow us are probably, you know, as good at voting at this stuff as a lot of the media who don't have the time to watch the other teams and on down the list of reasons why they don't know what's going on. Hey, they don't like it either. Most of the media members, they don't like it, especially, I mean, look, the media, they don't want this being put out there, but the media just cost Anthony Davis $24 million. And that's, that's, I blame the players for that. That's, you know, when they got into their negotiating position with Billy Hunter back in the, the lockout days, that they just really screwed themselves over by electing that particular leadership to represent their interests. They just got worked by the owners and having their salaries tied to media votes. You know, that's as ridiculous as I, of a thing as I've ever heard. I think it's and yeah. crazy that, yeah, yeah, that that's nuts. So, I mean, 24 million bucks and it's on a media vote and the media knows that and they do not feel comfortable with that at all. It's not their job to cost somebody money. And the same thing goes for any of the votes if anyone is becoming a free agent and you put them first, second team, third team, all NBA, and they're becoming a free agent, that actually has monetary value. It does. And and that's not comfortable. There's an interesting thing going on here, too, with the transparency. Everybody kind of hailed it uh, universally that people's votes would be known. And I think it, it's had it's, it's had a weir- weird effect. I don't know that it's a bad effect. I don't know if it's a good effect. But in the echo chamber of Twitter – where you know the messaging kind of starts at the top and it trickles down to down through all the the media ranks you're seeing a lot of groupthink in these votes and that's uh it's just an interesting trend to see kind of where um you know if you did have a an opinion that was you know out of left field or whatever you might not want to put it out there now because you're going to get you know they're going to publish the list and everybody's going to laugh at you maybe that's a good thing who knows well is this the strangest thing ever that there is no center on the all-star ballot, but there is a center on the all-NBA team, and that's why Draymond Green isn't first-team all-NBA and DeMarcus Cousins wasn't third-team all-NBA. Well, and back to DeMarcus, the, the, the votes for DeMarcus were a referendum on DeMarcus, it, it, and I would be really interested to see the breakdown of the voting. If you were more likely to get a phone call from George Carl's camp or be in the George Carl camp or, you know, Separately from that, if you just thought DeMarcus was a bad guy or a bad, you know, bad um, locker room guy, bad on the on the court for all the reasons that, you know, everybody's discussed ad nauseum, you'd be less likely to vote for him. And and a lot of that is kind of media driven noise that people, you know, from the other side of the country who rely on media reports to get their perspectives, you know, they're buying those reports. And then there's the people that did vote for him and they're selling those reports. And you'll hear them on talk shows and you hear them around the league. Talk about how DeMarcus Cousins is basically being put through a bad situation and that he's overcoming. So there's two different narratives that are out there. And I think it's interesting because it was reflected in this vote 
of a second team nod. And, and I would have probably put him something somewhere in that ballpark, though I don't know who I would put ahead of him. I would have center. I would have had to have voted him as a number one center in the league because I think he has a number one center in the league and like I, I I'm not trying to begrudge to Marcus and I know if he were to hear me say this he'd be pissed I mean he he uh, he tweeted out uh, TMC which the marathon continues uh, that that's <laughs> what that was for those that don't know out there. Uh, I, I, it, to be honest with you, it had slipped my mind. The marathon continues because Demarcus says that all the time. Um, but I, I thought it was some others. You know, I, I, I even hit the I, Urban Dictionary. But I, I went to my man Jason Jones from Sacramento Bee. I'm like, hey, TMC. He goes, the marathon continues, and I'm like, oh, he. You know, I was the guy who was yelling at when he's talking about God's plan, and then he finished all that with the marathon continues. And then me and Demarcus had a situation <laughs> last year where. He was walking away after a press scrum, which like one of three press scrums he did at a practice. Up with you in all these situations you're getting yourself into. I'm always in a situation. Uh, but anyway, he was walking away, and uh, and I yelled at him, marathon continues. <laughs> yeah, he waved. <laughs> so, now, but this, back to the votes, I, I would have had a hard time putting him on that first team because I, I just – the, the year was a disaster for the Kings, and, and we've talked about that on this show quite a bit. So I think everybody can go listen to past episodes if you haven't caught up on why it was a disaster. But there is something to be said for you can't have that kind of a year, who, regardless of whose fault it is, and be on that first team. And so I would shift the positions. I'd probably put Draymond as center, which I know was an option. But not a lot of voters knew about it. I don't agree with uh, that at all because honestly, they have five centers on that team, and he's not one of them. Sure, he plays there enough, but I mean, they have—I don't think they have five. But during the season, they did have some four or five. I mean, they had Bogut, they had uh, Jason Thompson for a long stretch, which they didn't use very much. Anderson Verjao, uh, Festus Azili. So all these people who keep saying he plays center, I completely disagree with. Maybe he plays center for a couple of minutes in a game, but that doesn't make you a center. I don't know the lineup, the uh, minutes per game, but it's actually pretty significant. And I would only do this because I'm a traditionalist when it comes to basketball. I think post-play is not dead. I think it's an important component of any game. Anytime you could get the ball below the free throw line and get people's heads turned, that's, that's just gold for your offense. It does so many different things for your shooters. And so I believe in the big man. And I don't like the idea that six foot seven Draymond Green or six foot eight, if you want to call him six foot eight, Draymond Green can be considered a center in, in this NBA. And the only reason he can be considered a center is because teams sort of wilt against the Warriors small ball and they 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 don't punish the Warriors for playing Draymond Green at center anyway. Um, but because they won 73 games and because that lineup was so dominant uh, I think that's why I would probably make an exception in this case. Put him at center. That way you don't have to have DeAndre Jordan, who realistically probably doesn't even belong on the third team when you factor in certain parts of his game. I, I just, you know, I thought he had a great year. I just can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it when you're so limited that you can't be played in the fourth quarter at times. That's right. No, that's true. We, I didn't even factor that in. I, I just don't get it. And I mean, Andre Drummond had incredible stats. And, you know, what do you do? Anthony Davis is it, you know, again, he didn't play enough games, in my opinion, to actually make it. But, um, you know, you have all of these bigs that are, I think, just a lot more talented and a lot more complete players than 
DeAndre Jordan in. So I, I was kind of caught off guard by that. Okay, so let's get to this draft prospect thing. Uh, we're not having a guest this week because James had to go to the Warriors game on Thursday night and didn't get in home until 2 o'clock in the morning, and it just makes the whole day a little bit strange. Uh, but we're going to bring in a guest early next week, right after the holiday, and, and sort of ramp up coverage. The Kings brought through another group of late second-round picks, potential guys that will be free agent acquisitions after the draft. Uh, but one of them sticks out, and he sticks out because, my goodness, Aaron, he's the biggest dude I think I've ever met. I, you know, I've talked to, I know Sim Bular, I, I've seen Sim, talked to Sim plenty of times, but uh, Mamadou Njai is behemoth. I mean, he's seven six, and this is crazy. In 2012, he had his wingspan tested at a at a camp, like a Nike camp or something. And he had an eight foot one wingspan. So basically in an older house that has eight foot ceilings, he could touch the floor and the ceiling at the same time with his arms. And he is huge. But that that wingspan is the biggest wingspan ever recorded at at any of the combines, ever recorded on Draft Express. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, on Draft Express. So talk about a big man who is going to stay in the draft, who's going to be available for somebody. I don't know that he fits what the Kings want to do, but have you seen any footage of him? Because he is remarkable. Um, Limited footage. I I will not lie. I'm still holding off on the draft uh, coverage on my end. I'm pushing back. You're not going to use the Northridge footage to, to track him down. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I and I also might be watching some video right now, and, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think um, th- these kinds of guys, you know, they fall in the draft for a reason. Um, I have no insight on this whatsoever. If you could get a guy with that kind of wingspan to play any level of defense whatsoever, you know, I think that's, you know, it's it's kind of reminded me of, you know, Hassan Whiteside uh, a little bit, but maybe, I don't know, where is he projected to go? That's my question because mid to late second round if he gets if he does get drafted that that was my understanding kind of reading the the surface level reports on this stuff if you can get anything out of the guys in, in that range of the draft then it's obviously a win i don't know man what yeah, do you the, think the kings are drafting 59th overall um I, I think that you know if you want a project center and you want to work with somebody who, number one, is a really, really good kid. That's what everyone says. He's an absolutely just spectacular human being. He's out of Senegal, out of Dakar, and he's uh, he's he's good people. And so he's good in the community. He's like a big, lovable teddy bear. Uh, not that Sim wasn't good in the community. He was just kind of blasé. Sim had uh, no ab muscles, number one, no core at all. And... Uh, he was just so quiet, and I think this guy could actually be someone that you put out there and, and people want to touch and feel and, like, you know, babies want to be lifted up into to touch the, the clouds. And I, I think you could use him as sort of like this crazy giant person uh, as well as, as a third-string center or a guy who's working his way through the D-League trying to to build his game. He's got kind of small spindly legs, but he's actually built up top, like big shoulders, uh, broad shoulders, muscular, ginormous hands. I mean, this is like a giant, giant human being. 
and I think he's over 300 pounds. I, he's intriguing to me uh, as a as a late second round pick, just because you never know. You never know if he develops. You're never going to believe this, but after watching his highlights on YouTube, I think he's a great pickup. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, no, you watch I'm, him, I'm he shoots 18-foot uh, jumpers, and he's shooting down at the rim, and he doesn't leave the, his feet. The, the best part about doing draft research is that you watch their strengths video, and I'm not watching the video of Draft Express, which is really good, and you had um, Mike on the other day. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He Mike knows Smith. his stuff. Oh, yeah. The... Um, You'll watch the strengths video and you're like, this guy's awesome. And then you watch the weaknesses. It's like, oh man, this guy's terrible. Yeah, he's in slow motion, I would assume. That's I think that's where uh, I, I don't think he he processes information super quickly. I'll put it on this way. If if you know, based on the one minute of film that I've watched, I would have no problem with the Kings taking him 59th, because at that at that rate, you're just looking for something to hang your hat on is you know, as the player Super athletic? Are they? Um, you know, what's their flaw? Is more or less what what you're you're getting at, and you have to take chances. You know, it's, it's if you think the guy's got the athleticism and you think you could develop him, that's one angle. If they're really super smart but they don't have the athleticism, you know, you could get a guy like T.J. McConnell who was really good for the Sixers this last year. So it's uh, I, I, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I think there's there's something to look forward to. There's something to yeah yeah with, I mean, with that, him as a, a late round pick and that last that last pick that second to the last pick you know right around that fifty nine sixty it's not like the Kings have ever got anything of value at that spot ever ever that I mean it's just a wasted pick. It's, the success rate on those picks is something like one percent five percent ten percent. Did you hear it, that people? I just set up a softball for Aaron Bruski to say Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he whiffed he whiffed people he whiffed hey did you see him on um on espn countdown that's got to kill the sacramento b <laughs> I, I i didn't see it i oh yeah he's been doing um analyst work yeah i've seen he's a doing little good bit of his analyst yeah he is good well he's always put together i have always I, I mean again i enjoy him but he was the 60th pick in the draft and yeah you're, you're totally looking for an undersized guy or you're looking for a super athlete that you might be able to convert into a three and d guy or you're looking for a behemoth because if you're drafting a shooter then you're drafting a shooter who literally walks around in cement shoes and can't move at all uh, and so that's if you're going to draft think in this that guy's going to last till 59 just watching his highlights here he can move his feet and he is yeah He's I, talked I about he's, needing to work on his footwork a little bit, but yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think he's lasting to 59. And in fact, I would take him a lot higher than that. He's, he's crazy big, dude. He's crazy big. That's, um, yeah. So now that I've watched three minutes of film, I think that this would be pretty much a, a gold mine if the Kings hit that at 59. You know what? Uh, I would love to see him against the big kid on the Spurs. What, Boban? What's it? Oh, Boban, yes, uh, Marjanovic, who yeah. is stra- he's strangely skilled for a man of his size, and um, and he probably should have been in the film adaptation of the BFG. <laughs> I, you know, I lived with a dude that was six foot ten in college, um, a UFC fighter. They, they, they're the the gentlest, nicest people because everybody's so freaking afraid of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, um, Rasan, one of the Kings media relations, they said he said he met him in high school. He met uh, Mamadou Injai, and he said that he he came in and he had to duck through the doorway, and 
it was for some AAU tournament or something, and everyone was like, <gasps> I mean, he said he got into high school. He was seven foot two in high school, like we, as a freshman. Yeah, we always used to have to pile in, in in the car with this guy, and it was like, who's sitting next to Gan? Was his, was his name? It's like, damn, I'm sitting next to Gan. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's but not good. They're always very gentle and they're fun loving, and that's kind of part of the personality most cases because. You know, you, you. I mean, we would walk down the street. People would walk to the other side of the street, and you know that that kind of wears on them after a while. So uh, you know, being that size is definitely a part of the personality of, of a big man. You know, it's it's stuff we see with Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, you know, no one wants an angry giant. All right, so Aaron, that's I think that's going to do it. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on this week's CSN Kings Insider podcast? Um, I thought. Um, John Sill over at, at our site, hoop-ball.com, did a really good uh, mock draft that I think folks should check out and uh, let us know what you think there. And uh, I'm, I'm still learning who is who, but uh, he had Jalen Brown of, of uh, Cal, who apparently is too smart, uh, according to a report that came out. I think that was out of the vertical. Uh, but he has, he has Jalen Brown going at eight to the Kings, shooting guard, small forward. So Actually, we'd love to get your thoughts. If uh, if he is available at eight, the Kings would be salivating because he's a uh, a super super athlete and has all kinds of potential. He he can play the two or the three. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist without the bad jump shots. Uh, smaller version of Draymond. Really smart pla- uh, player. Um, can literally jump out of the building. They actually have to catch him outside the building. Um, and if the Kings could get him, I did my own mock draft. I had Chris Dunn falling to the Kings. I don't know that that's going to happen, and I'll know more as we get closer and closer. But mock drafts are fun. They they are super fun, fun aren't they, Aaron? I I would never do one, but apparently you guys like to do them. I don't so like guys... to do them. No, 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 no. They That took like six <laughs> hours of my life. Yeah, you don't get that. There, you know back. why? Because they're so popular. They People, are extremely It's popular. insanely popular. It's the weirdest thing. It's like so irrelevant. This data will be completely pointless in about however many weeks, but people love this stuff. It's like and then I and I really enjoyed I haven't read yours, I'll go read, read yours right now. I really enjoyed just reading about um these particular picks. It feels like this draft class might be okay. It might be okay, okay is a stretch, but uh, yeah, I I don't think, after number one and number two, it gets really, really hit and miss, and you have no idea what you're getting. So what you're really hoping for is a productive NBA player. If the Kings were, if they had a pick around 18 to like 24, I think there are four or five 3 and D guys there, which again, it never makes, it doesn't make any sense to me why 3 and D guys go so late in the draft. I mean... If you look at, they're always between 18 and like 24. And then three years in, Damari Carroll gets like, you know, $15 million a year. And and uh, Jay Crowder is one of the more valuable people in the league. And so uh, three and D guys, I, I don't know why they're not going in the top of the draft. Um, but maybe it's something that we see down the road. It's like offensive linemen in football. It took teams probably, you know, 10 years too long to realize that they were the drivers of success. Yep. for for their football teams and they would never ever draft them high or pay them well and that's just insane to me so yeah the three and d guys that it's value you're looking for value wherever you can get it and i feel like the middle of this draft is where um the value will be yep i think so 
All right, Aaron. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week of the this this week's edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Uh, we'll be back early next week. We'll start hitting a lot more draft centric stuff. Uh, but for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.